0: I'm Derek O'Connor and I'd like to welcome you to the Directors and Dialogue series of podcasts presented by the Screen Directors Guild of Ireland. In this episode, we're talking to Kieran Donnelly, who's carved out a remarkable career directing several of the most acclaimed television series of recent years, many of them shot here in Ireland. Amongst them are the Tudors and Vikings. For the purpose of the podcast, if you could um, tell me who you are and tell me what you do.
1: Uh, My name is Kieran Donnelly. I am a director... A producer and a writer, occasionally, and give me an idea of some of the projects that you've worked on to today. Um, well, in terms of directing, I've been working on a. I've worked on a wide variety of projects, starting with like Cold Feet in the UK, um, uh, Spooks, BBC, ITV type stuff. Um, the Tudors for Showtime when the Tudors was a show that was made here in Ireland. In terms of locally, locally, people would know me probably for the Vikings. I've done like about 15 hours of the Vikings. Uh, Most recently, uh, I was a producer and director on uh, Krypton, which is a science fiction Superman DC world series, sort of uh, origin story of Superman, basically, uh, which is kind of cool. So that was for sci-fi and Warner Brothers. Next thing I'll do is probably my own show, which I've been developing for a little while and uh, have been writing on that so uh, hopefully fingers crossed that's an early next year into production scenario and talk to
0: me a little bit about your entry into the industry what drew you to in the first place and how did you find your way make your way in
1: well I suppose you have to go back to school and uh, one's influences and things like that I grew up in the north side of Dublin in the 80s which was a pretty bleak time you know we've just come out of a recession but there was a really big recession in the 80s and there was another one in the 50s and We have this cyclical history of of recessions in this country, but there weren't many options. Uh, And third level, you know, coming out of school, third level seemed like, what's that, you know, uh, to us uh, then. I have uh, an uncle who's a musician, a guitar player, and he he lived in America and played guitar in America in Nashville. He was a session player in Nashville. So there was uh, a strand of creativity in the family. And so he was kind of my icon, if you like. And every once in a while, he'd come back from Nashville with very glamorous cowboy boots and hats and funny looking jackets and guitars. And I started playing the guitar. Um, But the thing that really maybe sort of got it over the line in terms of a window into another world, uh, a creative way of living was his collection of films and and, and records. And um, uh, there were a bunch of John T. Davis documentaries there, uh, the Belfast documentary maker. Uh, so I kind of started watching those and Philip had done some soundtracks for John T. Davis films uh, l- later he did. So they really, like Route 66 and Shellshock Rock and things like that sort of started to open my eyes. And then there was uh, John Berman's Excalibur. So sort of the two films that really got me into this world were Excalibur and uh, Route 66, John T. Davis's documentary film. Uh, and there were a couple of key albums, a couple of key records there, like The White Album and Harvest and things like that. So that was sort of, when I was watching that stuff and listening to those records, I was not listening to Duran Duran and uh, <clears throat> the New Romantic Movement, which was sort of what was going on with all the other kids. So I was already sort of slightly in the long haired denim jacket, leather jacket kind of world. And then by the time I was 15, I was playing guitar and I was playing guitar at gigs and things like that. So I would come into school on a Friday with my guitar on my back and get the bus into town and do a check at the Olympia Theatre on Friday afternoons, uh, generally with my uncle who was back in Ireland and playing shows at that time um so when i was coming to leave school then it was like well you know where's the course in sound engineering that's actually what i wanted to do and it didn't really exist so i found a course uh, in video production uh, and drama and writing and photography which had a tiny little module of sound it just like had the word sound mentioned and i had a picture of a, a little mixing desk and this was in uh, you know on the brochure and this was in Kalash to Dulig and kulak so I went up there and uh, I got in there after a really terrible leaving cert. I didn't even have the points to do arts new CD, which at the time I think were 10. You had to get 10 points. <laughs> yeah. I didn't get that. But I got into this other course and what I found there was I was really into the visual side of things. I was really into the drama side of things and the photography and then the kind of the directing. Um, because we would have done like, we had this tiny little TV studio with three cameras and things like that. And it was a sort of classic multi-cam little setup. And it was great. We We'd good teachers, uh, we had Owen McNamee, the novelist, teaching talking about drama and script like and things like that. We had a great photography tutor. There was a woman called Gail Davis who ran the course, um, and they were really brilliant. And it was it was a kind of a new newish thing. I think it was maybe the second year of it. Uh, so basically, I just really excelled at that, and uh, I was out taking photographs and had a little dark room and printing shots and stuff like that myself. Came to the end of that, and I thought I was, you know, one of the one of two distinctions in the class thought i was set for the second year they said no no you need to go to film school proper there's a place over in dunleary uh the dunleary college of art as it was at the time and uh that's where you should go and i was like "The outside what's that mm-hmm. so uh anyway off we went on the bus and it seemed like it was like a three-day camel ride just to get there but uh yeah you had to get your passport you had to get, you had your to passport. get it ready yeah um my dad's still not talking to me about that you know but um so I went out there and it was just a whole other world and it was 16 mil film and I was really into that. Uh, so yeah, we did a three-year thing there. It was a diploma course. And then they had a top-up year for a degree a couple of years later and I went back and did that. When I was working, I was directing commercials, but I went back to do that. Was, That's was basically how I got into it. When I finished film school first time round, I graduated, I think it was 91. And suddenly there was this big vacuum of what the hell do you do and there really wasn't an industry to speak yeah. of. And there was no Irish person getting a job directing Ballycus Angel or whatever the BBC production that might've been in town was. I think there was only ever one Irish director who got a gig on that show despite five or six seasons. Paul Dwan did a block, I think at one time, but I was literally sitting in Grogan's bar wondering what the hell am I going to do? And where has everybody gone? And where's the structure gone? And how do you actually now start working? Cause you kind of think, you know it all, but you don't. And I saw a poster on the wall for, uh, it was called the Creative, Young Creative Cinema Award, and it was run by Rank Screen Advertising, who were the company that put, at that time, ads on in cinemas. So I decided to enter that. You had to make a 30 second commercial just yourself. Uh, and if you won it, you'd go down to the Kinsale International Advertising Festival and be given like a director's chair and take some abuse and generally have a good time. And then, you know, you were brought on a tour of the agencies in Dublin and in London. I did that, and I won that, and I did that tour. And then about a year later, I was directing commercials. So I started directing professionally. I was 23, I think. So right from the very beginning, it's like you're talking about, you know,
0: people working on shows and then you're also working commercially. So when you went into it, there's some people who have a very fixed notion of what they want to do. They want to maybe write and direct their own stuff yeah. or they want they have their own projects they want to pursue. Did you always have that head on you that you were very open to the notion of? Did you just want to direct full stop? Did you just want to make or is it just like you're willing to embrace that notion of working on shows, working on other people's stuff? Well,
1: you know, my dad is a carpenter and my mother was a bookkeeper. There was a really strong work ethic Mm. um, in in our house. Uh, And the reason I cite the 80s was because the whole thing was coming out of school, you needed to have a way of making a living. You know, uh, most of our generation got on the boat or the plane. A lot of people left and I was saying, "Okay, it's okay, mom and dad. I don't want to be a guitar player anymore. I want to be a director. And they're like, well, what's that? And there's even less of an industry there because they understood music and musicians because my dad's brother was a musician. So uh, when I said that, they were like, "Uh well, how does that work? But okay, at least there's a course you can do and you'll have a qualification and stuff like that. So part of it was must get working. Uh, The other part of it was you know, in order to, and of course I wanted to make my own movies and short films and things, which I did do, uh, but you're like, how do you get that going? And really then how do you pay the rent? So I just thought directing is great fun. I don't want to keep doing that, but I don't want to be waiting or struggling for two years to get to do something that's 10 minutes long. So I just saw the commercials thing as an opportunity to, uh, to, I suppose, bring the bring my craft as a director along Uh, and yeah to earn a living and things like that and and I did I mean it was it was really amazing Um, I started working in a company called Toy Town Films which was a new company at the time so I was their first director in and uh, you know I was learning how to deal with people who were paying for things who had their ideas as to how things should go and what it should be but I learned you know properly about lenses and cameras and the gear and the equipment and I was working with who were, the? I suppose, the crews that were the top crews mm. in the country and a, at the time. And it's a
0: very collaborative process. Like, it's a collaborative process at the best of times for <coughs> presumably commercial filmmaking and working in commercials. Yeah. It's a constant that you're working with a client, you're working to deliver. Absolutely, and You're and trying to find your own voice.
1: Yeah. yeah, you need to learn that. No, I wasn't really cut out for commercials. It wasn't really what I wanted to do. After about a year of doing it, or two years maybe, I was like, this isn't why I went to film school. I wanted to sort of do my own thing and find my own voice and all that sort of stuff. So then the degree top-up, arrived in Dun was 94 so I went back to do that and made a short film actually Morris Sweeney went back to do it I'm just looking at his picture on the wall so we were the two directors Morris was leaning towards documentary and I was into drama and uh, so the short film I made was a thing called Dirty Old Town which is this like Dublin gangster film um, prior to the The killing of Veronica Guerin, And and I say that because in our film, one of the gangsters killed a woman and it was like, wait a minute, you don't kill the woman in the film. Well, we were like, these guys do. And then a year later, I think it was a year later or a couple of years later, that's what happened. It was pretty shocking. But um, so that was the thing. And uh, so Dirty Old Town. And then I followed that up with a thing called Pinned, which was very similar sort of Dublin, drugs world, underworld, uh, people struggling, you know, with debt and with addiction and things like that, trying to get out. And they were kind of clunky and a bit messy, but they were well-made, they were well-crafted. And uh, I took those then to London and uh, got myself an agent in London because I knew that the chances here were pretty small because the cake was small, if you like. You know, the amount of opportunities weren't huge. A lot of my friends were, my contemporaries were you know, going for the Arts Council grant or, or you know, and the film board was up and running at that stage, was back, uh, reconstituted at that stage. So there was a bit of that going on, but not a huge amount. And I felt at this stage that I needed to go where the opportunities were, which was London. So... Uh, and again, to, again, is that the, I suppose, that nature of just having a craft, having a job,
0: planning yeah. a trade, you're basically, you got your calling cards and you can go and you can... I had calling cards. Yeah.
1: They were pretty good calling cards. And I wanted to direct and, I, you know, you're looking at TV shows and going, these are really great TV shows, let's go work on them. Mm. And I had watched Cold Feet and I was going, That's a great show. Really liked Cold Feet. It had that drama with a bit of comedy, with a bit of truth and it was a massive show. And I went to London and I met a couple of agents and I settled at Le Casarotto. Charlotte Kelly there is still my agent and uh you know and she just said, Okay, so the process is this. You will probably do meetings for a year uh and then something will break hopefully. And she was right, that's basically what happened. So I just went back and forth for a year, maybe a year and a half, doing meetings. I'd fly over, do a 45-minute meeting and come back. And it's all about introducing yourself to the producers, introducing yourself to the broadcasters and the networks, uh, anyone of any significance, introducing yourself to writers, them watching your material. And you're trying to... It's very difficult to do it remotely the way I was doing it. You know, you're trying to cultivate relationships and things like that. Um, And I just really connected with this one producer who was doing Cold Feet. And Cold Feet which was executive produced by Andy Harries. And it was Granada television for ITV, basically, at the time. And it was a huge show. Massive show. I mean, Mm. that show at that time was pulling 10, 12 million viewers an episode. Like, on the night Mm. type stuff. And uh, the actors, the sixth cast, were, like, the biggest actors in the UK. And that show had a policy, basically, of hiring people who were kind of new. Which was exciting for the show uh, and also dangerous for the show because you weren't hiring people who were vastly experienced. But they were looking for, what were they looking for? I suppose people who were just, who thought in a more dynamic way, let's say, and who could really sort of bring energy and excitement to the thing in terms of how it was shot and how it was directed and how they talked to the actors and things like that. So the producer came here to meet me and we had a good old chat and we had a nice lunch and I brought him for a pint and then sent him off to the airport and a week later I had the gig and it was the final co-feet episodes, end of season four, where these characters go off to Australia for a big wedding. So I was like doing an episode in Manchester and then it was out to Sydney for like this 90-minute special and that one a BAFTA. Mm-hmm. So that was my first, what I call my first real job. And did you find yourself just taken to it? Was there an
0: intimidation aspect or did you find that you were able to, because it's a, again we'll come back to that like the, yeah. these shows are machines to some degree they're already in motion there's an existing cast oh. there's a crew There's a
1: you're stepping into well, somebody else's world well there is you know? that you kind of think oh you know this is something like what are you really bringing to the table because it's all up and running and the format's set and the style is set it's so easy to mess it up mm-hmm. that's the first thing and they do not want someone who's coming in with the potential to mess it up they've got these really delicate big ego incredibly highly strong and highly paid actors a writer who was on the edge of an nervous breakdown all of the time. In my time, I think Mike Bullen resigned four times, mm-hmm. you know, in the space of three months or whatever. Um, and you need to know how to shoot a show like that in terms of how you cover it, in terms of bringing your style to it, your bringing your cinema to it, and bringing your insight and understanding of the characters' emotional lives as well as their physical lives and all the rest of it. So, like, that's just before you show up, you need to have all of that stuff. So what about your first day in Cove then? What do you remember about the first day? Uh, well, in, not in terms of shooting. My first day on Cove was... The first thing that happened was um, the scripts are really late. Um, and because it was a show written just by one person, Mike Bullen, there was always that pressure on him. And it was very hard for him to come up with a story and turn out exciting and interesting scripts uh, for the actors and, and for the show and stuff like that. So there was a read-through on a Saturday morning. And we were shooting Monday. That straight was in. That was straight. There was yeah. no. I had been no, out with. Str- no grace I, period. It's like. I, no, there was no proper up. prep because we'd no scripts. Uh, I'd sort of, you know, visited the, the likely locations and the kind of the regular patches and the stages where the sets were for the interiors of the houses. And because we were going out to Sydney, they flew me out to Sydney, which was fog bound for three days. So I couldn't actually see anything. And then I came back, but there was no script. So we just sort of, you know, it was like, go and have a look at a general selection of cold type locations. Uh, so I went and did that. But anyway, so the Saturday morning, the read through, certain actors are drunk. I mean, you're talking 10 a.m. Saturday morning. So they've all been out Friday night. The rest of them are pretty emotional. So one starts crying, uh, another leaves the room. They read through the script. It wasn't a very good script. I asked the producer and Mike if I could just have some time with the actors just to kind of get to know. And (laughs) they proceeded to hammer the script. Mm -hmm. Uh, They proceeded to hammer Mike. Mm -hmm. Mike was, it turns out, outside the door listening to it all. Yeah. The actors all left. I came out, hey, how you doing? Yeah, well, that went well, didn't it? And I was like, what? And then he's just, well, fuck them. Mm -hmm. I'm off. I have made their careers. I am the reason they're getting paid what they're getting paid. I am the reason they they have the profiles they have, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Happy, happy dysfunctional families. Happy dysfunctional, exactly. So that was, that was really day one. Mm-hmm. And then we had to cobble together a day shooting for Monday, mm-hmm. which we did. And it was a shoot pretty much like any other shoot I'd been on. But I did notice that and the difference between there and here at that time, I can't say if it's like this now still, but it was suddenly you were the director. You really, really were the director. Uh, And there was just this automatic respect. It wasn't a question, you know, like we know where you're from. There was none of that stuff. Yeah. It was full on, in you go and set it up. And it was just really slick. And I absolutely loved it. And
0: that's the thing as well. They always say that thing about the director, you've just always got to have an answer. You've always you're the solutions guy.
1: Yeah. You don't, yeah. I mean, on the day of the filming, yes, you should have, of course, Uh, prep is about, finding the answers too. You know, you don't necessarily have to have all of the answers through prep. I mean, you've got to come up with them before you get going. But uh, And it's great if you have the answers instantaneously, but nobody can have all of the answers all of the time. That's not truthful. Mm. Um, uh, and if you don't know, you just got to say, look, back to you in an hour or yeah. we'll meet tomorrow and figure that out or or whatever, you know. So, and, 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 and like you said earlier, there is a collaboration to finding solutions to problems. That's why you have a designer It's why you have First AD. It's why you have all of these people. It's kind of like, the script says this, we need to figure out how to do that. And that isn't the director figuring that out. That's the director and the team figuring that out. You're bringing the art to it. You're bringing Mm -hmm. the tone to it. You're saying to the DP, I think it's this atmosphere. And you're talking to the actors about their position or their situation or their state. Because that was the thing, is that
0: you're talking right away about um, relationships with actors. You have people who are vulnerable creatures at the best of times, you know? And in those situations where you are, they know the character, and, and this comes up again with TV, where they very possibly feel like they may know those characters better than the people who are writing for them at this point. They have a lot that they bring to it. How do you... It's dangerous. <laughs> yeah, how do you negotiate those relationships?
1: Um, well, it depends. It, it, In my experience, it very much depends on the individual. And it depends, you know... Well, like, for example, on a show like Cold Feet, they really wanted direction. They really wanted my take on what was happening for their characters at the time they work so hard they don't always show up going i oh, just so i know how to do this they actually want the discussion uh, most of the time and that's really good they might say well mike has written this but i wouldn't my character wouldn't really do that and yeah sure you've got to do a little bit of navigation there but really it's also about understanding what mike's trying to get to perhaps which may not be obviously on the page or apparent on the page so But in theory, I'd have spoken with Mike about that beforehand because, you know, you should sit with the writer and go through the script and have that page turn. Uh, And similarly with the actors, if you can. But Kofi wasn't that. So I don't remember a huge amount of... I remember some refiguring and reconfiguring of scenes on the day, on on certain shoot days and things like that. Other days where there were just no scenes to shoot Mm -hmm. um, or days, and this is a relatively common story, where you've shot a scene and then the rewrite for that scene arrives and, and things like that. But uh, to go back to your question and to, look, it's 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 a tricky navigation sometimes uh, where an actor is emphatic about. I think it's this, you know, mm-hmm. it's this way, and then you have to give that. Say, okay, that's fine. Uh, we'll do that. Um, but I do think it's also this, and let's do that too, and let's see where it goes. So you have to allow a little bit of time for that process because uh, to happen. Because generally, you're not really getting any real rehearsal time, and then. You did your Kofi, so that was
0: your your baptism of fire, or your relatively yeah. benign baptism of fire. Yeah. As soon as you well, were I finished-
1: mean, benign in the sense that I enjoyed it, but I also think there was an immense amount of naivety in my behalf there which is probably a hell it was a huge help help because like i remember the first ad and the production man was all apologizing about the state of things and the chaos and the high emotions and Mm -hmm. people walking off sets and not shooting this afternoon and tears on the bus at lunchtime and all that stuff and i was like that's great it's fantastic just happy to be be here kind of like home yeah it's great (laughs) yeah i was happy to be there but you know i was on i had a great dp but i was really on it and uh I was really inside the story and I was really inside the characters and the shooting of it. I just shot it my way, Mm -hmm. which really worked for the show. You know, I didn't shoot it the way any other director shot it. There was no, and there was the kind of show, like there's obviously, you have to deliver a certain amount of coverage. So there's editing choices and all that sort of stuff. But in terms of moving the camera and lenses and all that kind of stuff and light, I just did what I thought was right. And did you feel so was that it, you
0: were up and running then? at that point when you prove that you can handle essentially that or you can work within that machine mm. that kind of gives you context to proceed? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Context to proceed. Yeah. Like you're a guy you've done. Your team, oh, sure. You know, yeah,
1: yeah. 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 Um, That's right. Yeah. It's kind of. I'd bit, landed in a way in a sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah exactly. It was a prime time show. It was a large scale show. Uh, it turned out they did a whole other season. After that, because it was just too much of a moneymaker for the producers to not do it. And did you come back? I did. I came back uh, and did the first two episodes of the fifth season, which I think I shouldn't have done, frankly. Uh, It it felt, there was a bit of a debate as to whether it should happen or not. And then there was enough kind of traction between the cast and, and I guess the producers to kind of, yeah, let's do it. And Mike signed up to do it. And it felt like it was just the, really maybe it was just about the money and yeah was the same heart or same level of heart in it. Um but I think actually by the last two episodes of that season it came around really well because James Nesbitt's storyline Helen Baxendale Helen Baxendale's storyline was really great. Mm. Um, and they lost the kid and all this kind of stuff. He loses her and it was actually it it became good, but it didn't start brilliantly, you know. Yeah. I think it just it felt like it was starting the whole thing again but people took a while to find it in that one and I was directing those episodes and I remember thinking coming away from that going you know the first time round was so brilliant mm. and it was so much fun and it did really really well and, and they were really great episodes especially the Australian one that I should have left well enough alone in a way but I also sort of said well it's comfortable I'm comfortable in that world I like Manchester and mm. you know but is that the nature of episodic TV as
0: well is that you can do a really amazing episode mm. and then you can return you can come and it's not like every time you're trying to top it ultimately you're kind of contributing a certain amount of episodes to
1: a greater whole there's mm-hmm. an ebb and flow to it mm-hmm. no there can be and it, it's very much about the scripts that you have you mm. know you've got to have great scripts um, or and, and on other shows where I've done a lot of the show a lot of episodes in the show you might like Tudors for example or Vikings and I'm you know getting script number 8 out of whatever thinking yeah and then I realized, like, you just have to really dig deep here and and, and and pull the episode out of this script, which the episode doesn't seem, the great things that you think should be in there aren't in there. Uh, and you can go and speak to the writer about it. And maybe you'll get a bit more about what they're actually really thinking. And then you go, I just have to go and make something great out of this. Mm-hmm. And you're working on shows like that. And this is the thing with to the
0: more recent stuff you've been doing you're working with stuff that's on an epic scale that's on a cinematic scale in Mm. terms of the size of the production you're working with extras you're working with period pieces you're working Mm. with action you're working with all these you know huge elements at the same time you're working on that tv schedule which is is compressed you know so what was your way into that? Was that, again, was that another skill set to learn or is that something that's just evolved in terms of just the more work you do, the more capable you are of just tackling those kind of more logistical challenges as much as the, as you say, it's about making the, making the thing work more than anything.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, like, do you mean like the segue from UK TV to large, larger scale? Bigger yeah, was, was US that a gradual, TV? was that a gradual process or no, was there it was, a certain, it was a, tr- I mean, was it was a leap. The leap was, I think I had done about four or five years of UK TV Mm. and I had my eyes on the US um, just because the shows that were starting to come out of the cable world were exciting. Yeah. And I just wanted shows, I wanted to do stuff that maybe looked better for one thing, just the other worlds. I was interested in other horizons, other worlds, other types of characters. Uh, I felt I'd kind of maybe... Maybe done what I could do in the UK. I just, I had itchy feet and I wanted to go to the States and, yeah. and try other stuff. So that's what I did. Um, and was that meetings again and introducing that yourself? That was all back starting, to the beginning, you yeah. know, and you're like, you know, the UK agency had a relationship with the US agency Endeavor, which is now WME, William Morris Endeavor. Um, so that's where it started. <clears throat> but as it happened, the Tudors, which was a Showtime show, was coming together in Dublin. Mm-hmm. And so uh, on the basis of my UK CV, they met me. Mm-hmm. Uh, they wanted me to talk about maybe doing some tutors because they wanted to hire some Irish directors, which is a great thing. And I, I think part of the incentive, which the tutors really only availed of from a film board point of view, in the first season, it didn't need it, you know? Yeah. I mean, obviously the tax break was the big deal, Mm -hmm.
0: but also, but they were fairly embracing in terms of, they were open to the idea of having an Irish director. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I mean, if you had
1: the CV, I mean, you're going, I mean, you weren't just going to be any director walking in. I mean, I had handled the highest end of UK actors, the biggest level of show. Hmm uh and there was like you know award stuff to because they're like that you know there's yeah. after there that's great and all that kind of stuff so everyone goes okay comfort zone we're happy with this guy let's do a he's, meeting he's qualified
0: what's that what's yeah. was your in terms of looking back at your uk stuff
1: what are you happiest with has to be cold feet yeah has to be that australian episode i, I did spooks afterwards Right after that, which was a completely different world. It's an action show, yeah. Very much an action show, um, absolutely. Uh, again, great fun, but the the ambition of the show was bigger than the budget. Mm-hmm. So it was just an immense struggle all of the time. And the scripts were like, it was helicopters and SAS guys and shootouts and army trucks with nuclear bombs on. And it was all this mad stuff. I was like, but they didn't have any money, you know. And I was, yeah. I remember going to the producer one day and I was, had just gotten married and Wasn't long back from my honeymoon, and I was in rainy, miserable Ealing, and it was just so. I was in this shitty flat, and I was, you know, know, and the budget, everything kept falling through. And I went to the producer one day. I was like, I literally said to him, and I was really cheeky, but maybe that's just kind of the Irish irreverence. I was going, you know, I was told that this was a great show to do, but you don't have anything. You don't have any money. This is like I can't do anything with this. You know, the Mm -hmm. script is asking for all of these things like and we can't we just can't achieve it it's going to be like two people in a room so so what are we going to do you know and he was like we'll figure it out and they came back the next day and it was okay yeah you've got the helicopter you've got the crane you've got the thing you've got the stuff you need to make the show and the locations and the the tanks and all the stuff that were in the script you know but i suppose you just have to go in and do a banging of the desk thing to say But this is
0: the thing is this part of the skill set as well, just in terms of like, you know, you're to some degree you're an employee, but at the same time you're You have to bring the show on. You have to bring the
1: episode home. Absolutely. And and they can be in the middle of the mayhem of ten episodes of that thing. So
0: So you have to you have to be the one who makes the fuss. Yeah,
1: maybe yeah. You know, it's and 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 in such a way that doesn't really upset them or piss them off, Mm. you know. Um, but, you know, when I think back, it's like, okay, you know, because that producer would have had, you know, probably four or five episodes in a cutting room, three or four in prep. Uh, and I'm going well, like, where's, where's my helicopter? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? But he didn't lose it. He, he, and he delivered. And he it. I mean, they into, you know? yeah. But they went out and they f- moved the budget around and they got the stuff that's required for the episode. And they probably stole from Peter to pay Paul and mm. just kicked the can down the road a bit. But then you have to adjust script. Yeah. To, 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 to make it affordable, I suppose. Uh, or find a way of doing it that allows it to happen.
0: I'm working on an action show like that, presumably when it comes to, you know, and that's the thing with shows like The tutor, there is a certain amount of action, a certain amount, you know, it's a whole different, uh, yeah, yeah. so it well, was a relatively nice segue in terms of stepping up again. And yeah, then,
1: well, the resources would have been, The Tudors didn't have much in terms of big set pieces, mm. uh, and I just have this thing, look, in the end, really, it's like there's a couple of characters in a certain place in a certain situation and there's an issue, mm-hmm. you know, you know and unless it says you know a thousand vikings come marauding over the hill or whatever i mean really you're in drama world and yeah the fact that it's a costume and the fact that it's a different period
0: is, is not is fundamentally it's is kind of irrelevant in yeah the it's, end, it's yeah well in the end it's like, getting okay, into the, the characters attention the to all that
1: detail of course and whatever yeah. but it's a fantastic team to do all that um and you kind of go yeah here's what i think and they'll go yeah great or well what about you know so that's just a process that's fine in the end you know what's this about what's Mm -hmm. the scene where are the turning points for the characters what are the emotional levels here and and how am i going to
0: shoot that you know and then so you're you know you're 20 years would this be 20 years into your career at this point i suppose it's if you start yeah yeah. (laughs) how did it feel then to be coming back to be back here and then for the this kind of shows that were not being made when you were coming up Mm. you know you're kind of front and center when they are being was it nice to come back then and be able to do that
1: shows like you mean like the vikings tutors and tutors. yeah yeah well it was great i mean uh we started talking about the Tudors there and i got a shout to go out and meet with morgan o'sullivan um to discuss it and so i was describing my career to him to that point and he was like how come we've never met and i said well you know actually i've been sending you show reels for about five years so.
0: <laughs> yes well morgan o'sullivan for people who may not know him is a very significant figure really in the yeah the,
1: the evolution of the irish film industry very much so, say. Yeah, no, yeah great i mean he, he i mean he's done so much for the industry I mean, you know the reason 481 is here is probably largely down to morgan you, you know so i mean that just has brought an industry to the country really mm. like and it, it is very much it's a service industry but uh, the scale of it is immense uh, for the size of the country and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I think what's also really encouraging is just there is a lot more of the indigenous thing coming along. There's a lot more writers and directors coming out there. And I, I think Screen Ireland, as it is now, is really, really, you know, paying off. Uh, it's been a long, hard slog, on things, I think, in terms of investing in time and creativity and all the rest. But, yeah, I think we're starting to really see now an output mm. of, uh, of, you know, independent feature films and things like that.
0: So you meet Morgan, you finally met, you're on his radar.
1: Yeah, yeah, no. So yeah, I got the job on that, Yeah, Um, directed a couple of episodes, the last two of the first season, and uh, they went pretty well, and they just kept asking me back. And, you know, having done the kind of the four or five years of, commuting back and forth to the uk i was like well this is nice you know yeah uh, it's
0: also a show with a global reach as well it's, it's it was it it's turned into a, big a really show.
1: big show yeah. in terms of audience and, and the amount of countries it was uh transmitted in and by and all that kind of stuff uh michael Hurst is a fantastic writer um great person to hang out with and spend time with on a creative level and on a personal level and it was a lovely team you know and i just really enjoyed doing it and um uh orla and i had a you know we were having kids i mean it was you know, back and forth to Manchester all the time, I and mean, my daughter, our first daughter was like you know she was like three months she was on a we she's traveling with us, we're in hotels, trying to keep bottles of milk cold in a fridge
0: but that's a that's another conundrum that faces particularly people you know, who are driving things, filmmakers, um, is do you bring the show on the road, like in terms of getting the work-life balance? Or mm. do you, some of them leave the family and kind of go deep cover for a few months? So you've yeah. always tried to bring everyone with you? Yeah,
1: it's it's been both, to be honest with you. I mean, when they're young and before they're in school, it's much easier. You can just pack them up and off you go. And there's an adventure factor to it. And generally speaking, working in Europe, that's relatively easy. Um, some of the further away stuff. I did a show in Puerto Rico for Universal TV for NBC. um So I was down there for five months, and then there was post in New York for another couple of months and stuff like that. But we just packed them all up, took them out of school, and mm-hmm. as it happens, more for as a primary school teacher. So there was a bit of oh, we can do the homeschooling thing. Yeah, um, and the school goes great, fantastic adventure, but adventure. Uh, and come back with a project about puerto rico or whatever yeah amazing the department of education doesn't think the same way so there's a limit to which you You can can get away we've bent the rules as far as they can be bent but um you listen they're still talking about that yeah they'll always have that memory and uh it was a fantastic experience for all of us
0: you may have cursed into a creative life You've turned them on to it early. Like you were yourself. That's the thing. You <laughs> well, had that's your uncle. Yeah, yeah, someone yeah, opens you've the shown door. Them this world.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we'll see, you know.
0: So you did the t- So the Tudors, again, you were here. You were able to do that. So yeah. did, that, was there, did that go straight into Vikings? Was that something that no, was on the radar? Uh, or what no, happened the, in the meantime?
1: After the, well, after the first season of the Tudors, I thought, okay, the States is, you know, now I've got a show yeah. that's relevant out there. Because they didn't really know. Cold Feet and Spooks hadn't really made an impression out there. Mm-hmm. Um you know, they, there was some small network that showed Spooks. It was called MI5. And then there was somebody tried to remake Cold Feet and it didn't work and all that yeah. kind of stuff. But with Tudors, it's Showtime. Showtime was a, show time, thing, Showtime, was a proper cable yeah. show. And uh, so, I, yeah, I got some traction. So I was like, OK, this is it. I'm going to go over there now and do some work in the States. And I did. And uh, so I was now working truly in the American episodic system. Mm-hmm. And I didn't love it.
0: Um, and why? What was it about it? That is it just it was, a, it's a machine? It is that's a well-oiled machine. machine. That's yeah. a
1: real machine. That is a don't out of line machine. Mm-hmm. That is, I thought, you know, like working here in Ireland with that team, like with the, with the Tudors team and with Michael Hurst or on Co-Feet or those sort of UK shows, you are, you know, you're bringing your voice as a director uh, and it isn't just toe the line. But this was a show where... And that voice is respected.
0: Yeah, absolutely,
1: yeah. Uh, Whereas once you're in the American episodic, literally, and they do it one episode at a time. Mm -hmm. So it's a very different beast. It's like seven or eight days prep, eight or nine days shoot, bam. Gone. Four days to do your cut, good luck. Yeah. You know, uh, off you go and they really want you you know you, yeah bring your thing of course bring your thing but like if you rehearsed with the actors for more than eight and a half minutes the EP's down going like why is this taking so long Yeah, and you're like huh so it's just and get you, on with and it and you have to toe that line you just have yeah. to get on with it um, so it was really enlightening mm-hmm. uh, but also was, I was just thought like do I really want to bring my wife and kids out here for this mm-hmm. and the way they work in the US particularly is the turnaround hours so you could show up to start shooting you know, 7 a.m. on a Monday morning, finish at 8 p.m. that night mm-hmm. because actors have a certain amount of turnaround or a yep. DP might have a turnaround. You're not starting the next day till maybe 10 a.m. finishing at 10 p.m. Yep. And then by the time you get to Friday, you're finishing at 4 in the morning. So it just gets later and later every night. Yeah. You're just sort of literally while you're shooting, you're just functioning just for the shoot, uh, which is the job. That's the nature of the job mm-hmm. out there in the episodic world. And I just thought, I'll never see the kids if I'm know wife if I, if, if I bring them out here for this. Because in order to make a living here, I'm going to have to do 10 of these a year. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And
0: I just thought, I don't know. It's very much a, it's a conveyor belt. You're on it. Yeah. yeah. And,
1: and then it would depend on the shows. Now, maybe, you know, if you're doing, if it was like you were doing a very cool new HBO type show or mm-hmm. an AMC show or a Sundance show, that would be worth it because yeah. there'd be enough kudos out of the show. But if you're in that more broadcast world, uh, by which I mean the alphabet, like ABC and NBC and yeah. things like that, it's, uh puts you in that world. Yeah. Um, the rewards are much more substantial financially, but uh, in that world. But um, I just thought, nah, I don't know. And also, I'm really... I, I felt like I was in the commercials world again. I was like, you sure. know, so you're here to shoot this, this, yeah. this, this, and let's go.
0: Well, on a practical level, how talk about like an episode of the tutors how long do you have to shoot how long do you have to deliver
1: yeah well it's like the big difference you know when you'd be meeting producers in the states they go hey you guys what hours do you do and you say well we do like in the states you might do nine days an episode and let's say the Tudors or vikings is officially 10 or 11 days an episode mm-hmm. but we don't do the turnaround thing we finish at yeah. like six or seven o'clock or whatever it is every day so when you add up all the hours, it's probably the same. Except we don't do the overtime that they're doing. They're paying all this overtime. We don't pay that. Mm-hmm. We don't really do it's like really rare yeah. to do overtime. So in terms of uh, hours per shoot per episode, it's yeah. probably the same. But, but the process is the process very is different. different. The creative yeah. involvement is different. We would generally shoot in blocks of two or three. So you're prepping probably for four weeks, mm-hmm. and uh, and then you'll probably shoot ultimately for four weeks.
0: And that allows for sustained thought in terms of your creative process Yeah, as very well. much so, yeah. yeah. And
1: then you're building a relationship with the actors and you can kind of, they're down on the set or you can meet them for lunch or see them after they've wrapped and talk about a thing or try and book in some rehearsal time with them. Yeah. But generally, there's going to be a sit down with the actress. which No impacts- matter if you're episode six and seven of the fourth season, you're still going to be able to do that. Which yeah, which great. impacts what's on the screen then. It does ultimately, yeah. And you can spend time with the DP, you know, uh, uh, and the writer and things like that so uh, it's it, yeah I found I found that just much more creatively interesting and rewarding in the end and I could deliver really great episodes that way and so you're in the States you decide
0: this isn't going to work for me so yeah. and that, is that the thing so in terms of you does it come down to like it's a lifestyle in terms of you want to have your life you have a yeah, family but also creatively in terms of the kind of shows you want to work yeah. on and the things you want to make yeah. that's a factor as well I'm very pretending.
1: much so yeah I just didn't want to do it that way mm-hmm. so yeah so I really just did that one thing out there uh, I came back, so there was more tutors to do, and then, you know, generally I would sort of have six months of the year on the tutors, and then maybe there was a BBC show shooting in town, and I'd get called for that too. So mm-hmm. I would have, like, a full year of a BBC show and, and a Showtime show. For, and what for was the BBC stuff? There like, was a thing called George Dantley, which came to Dublin yeah. for a while, so I did a bunch of those. Um, it's again like a period detective show. It was, yeah, yeah, I was doing a lot of period work, yeah, yeah. yeah. But there was also, I'm at home, mm. you know, which is a big thing. Um, and, and strangely, people sort of pin me as always away. And, and yes, I have been away, but I've, I've never actually moved away.
0: Yeah. Uh, I've always commuted. But is that the thing, though, is that you stand as a testament that you can actually, you can have a career as, because there's certain, I think, in terms of perceptions of how you can work in the industry here. Mm. Can, you, how, can you stay? Can you stay and have a successful career? So you've always remained based here and your yeah. context has always been Irish.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Um, No, I mean, I've worked in a lot of really fantastic places, but I've never felt like, yeah, I actually wouldn't mind living in New York. I mean, I Mm. love New York. I was really happy to work there, but I don't think I really want to live there. Um, Los Angeles, beautiful, but no thanks. Uh, Mad uh, in in many ways. Um, uh, And, you know, in Europe, I've done a lot in Budapest and obviously London um, and Romania and things like that. But yeah, home's home. Dublin's Dublin. I think it's the best city in the world.
0: And so you're back then, and at what point does Vikings enter the equation?
1: Well, there was a show called, after the Tudors, there was, uh, in terms of, you know, the Morgan Sullivan world and what was happening here, the next thing up was Camelot, mm-hmm. um, so I kicked that off, I started that, um, and there was really just one season of that, mm-hmm. uh, and that was a very tough show uh, for lots of reasons, and it didn't come back. Yeah. So there was Camelot, and I think a lot of us were really just very disappointed in the whole experience of that um
0: and is that just the nature of it? Is that sometimes when you're working on shows you're working on something like cold feet you're mm, stepping into an established thing with mm, the shooters you're helping to build something yeah. and then sometimes there's shows where it just doesn't take it's a kind of a you know it's a kind of an elo- it's a yeah it's a, it's it's a thing that never art, goes you know
1: yeah it's like setting up a show starting a show setting up a show is probably the hardest thing in the world because nobody knows what it is until it's done
0: and you're building the world. You're actively contributing to building the world. Oh, very
1: much so. The world, the tone of it, uh, the design of it and all the rest of it. Uh, and, and, you know, there's a writer writing the story of it. But then there's there are the financiers who have what they think it is, you know. And uh, so we had a uh, a UK writer, showrunner, Chris Chibnall, uh, who's a brilliant writer. Fantastic. Broadchurch Chris is Chris's and lots of Doctor Who. He's on Doctor things. Who now. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know. Really amazing guy. Uh, I was directing it and Morgan and & Co were producing it. Um, but, you know, this was a very European, UK, kind of Irish sensibility coming to the Arcturian world for a TV mm-hmm. series. So we had sort of, there's this version and then there's essentially US finance. Yeah. Going, well, there's this version. Uh, so it's comp- very hard to marry the two. Yeah, uh, and try uh, to find compromise without <laughs> compromising the whole thing. Exactly, yeah. So um, there was just, I think it was just so complex. and uh, But like, interestingly they screened the first two episodes at i think it was mip tv or mip com it was either april or october i can't quite remember and it instantly sold in like nearly 100 territories mm. i mean on the night bam out and it was star's biggest rating show to this date mm-hmm. and they didn't come back for a second season okay and i know they regret it
0: and how much at that point like how much are shows that like again to give people an idea these days what are the budgets for those kind of shows per episode
1: um well, pilot episodes or first episodes obviously take the lion's share of the budget because yeah. you're building it from scratch or whatever. But on an average basis, I, I think Tudors is in our in dollars three somewhere between three and four million an episode. Yeah. Vikings would be similar. Okay, um, I think Camelot was similar. I did a show Crossbones, the one in Puerto Rico, that was six an episode, six million an episode. Mm. Uh, Krypton. Up in Belfast was, I don't know, probably in around the three mark. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So the budge- are the budgets getting higher for the shows? Are the budgets reflect the production values that are required to deliver? Because you're talking about effects, you're talking about, yeah. you know, periods, yeah. you're talking, and the scope, the ambition. I feel like it's, again, Game of Thrones, or they're talking about the last season of Game mm. of Thrones now, every mm. episode has a feature budget essentially you know Mm. but at this point it's the biggest show in the world yeah but does that again does it raise the bar in terms of what you're expected to deliver in terms of what television is expected to look like these days absolutely but also in terms
1: of what budgets are available to you it depends on the network and how much they're willing in the studio you know the financiers how much they're willing to put into a show what what the show requires you know you write the first episode of game of thrones or even krypton it's like you cost that it's you know that's not a three million dollar show mm-hmm. that's an eight to ten million dollar show uh and i think that w- what hbo and game of thrones don't do is say each episode must cost this yeah it's probably the bigger budget yeah most shows just have a pattern a production pattern a shooting pattern and a budget pattern per episode that they like to hit uh thrones doesn't do that um well, the mythology of it is like one episode might be seven million, and another might be 12. Yeah. But I guess it's how it all averages out in the end. So they just amortize across every episode in a season.
0: And then with something like Vikings then, and it is a big, which it's, is it the biggest show you've worked on in terms of the the, the, scale. the scale of it and the world? No, not
1: in terms of budget, but in terms of,
0: you know. Because it just seems to be getting bigger and bigger. Yeah, no, it is amazing. Yeah.
1: And they've really developed it and built it over the years, over the four or five years of it five six years of it
0: and it is officially at this point a huge show globally like it's in a hundred countries it is yeah yeah Yeah.
1: no it's like you know i don't really do the imdb thing much but Mm -hmm. people are going oh you know like it's thrones and vikings are the top two yeah you know yeah it's got that kind of cult of adoration as well No, it is it's it's fantastic but the designers and the team out there have built an incredible complex set uh, and there's a massive Irish investment in it. Never mind the fact
0: that every, pretty much every bearded man in the yeah. greater Dublin and Wicklow <laughs> yeah. region is now in in full employment that's as a right. result of it. yeah. yeah but just yeah. in terms of creatively, in terms of you know, there's a yeah. lot of, oh, in, yeah. And yeah. that's I think the thing at this point where and where Morgan's helped is, the sheer amount of irish talent on so many levels are being employed and yeah, engaged yeah, yeah yeah practically and creatively yeah by this. exactly and, there, yeah. and even in terms of vikings i saw a lot more irish actors in the mix right off you know yeah, just yeah. in key insignificant roles yeah you know i think the
1: tudors broke a lot of ground in that regard um you know and now morgan has been out there producing over the years but in mm. terms of a long-running tv series that hadn't really happened on a significant level and so you know. A, a, a network a u.s network can buy into it once they've got that name up front and that happened to be jonathan reese myers who for 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 the tutors who Bob greenblad who was running things at showtime was a fan of because mm. he had done an elvis biopic that yeah. won them an emmy or something like that prior to that so it was like johnny that's just sort of the stars aligning right there yeah they want like to be in the jonathan
0: reese myers <clears throat> business exactly
1: yeah. and then you could build a, a lot of irish cast around that mm. um so yeah pretty much uh
0: and Vikings isn't, and again, I know Gabriel Byrne was in there, but it was yeah. never a star vehicle. It's kind of the, the no. actors have come through the show.
1: I mean, Gabriel Byrne was really key to it happening. Yeah. I believe the network history really wanted somebody up mm. front because the the casting of uh, Ragnar Lothbrok, who was the lead character in, in the first four seasons, was, I think, just a very difficult process, but they found a really brilliant, brilliant person in Travis, Travis Fimmel. But he was relatively unknown, Yeah, um, uh, basically. But you know, Gabriel was the th- Gabriel was really the person I think who got it over the line. Yeah, and they said, okay, we can put him up front yeah. at least, and uh, we can talk about Gabriel Byrne. And you know, there's kudos there, and he's a fantastic actor. It was the first time I worked with him; it was really amazing.
0: And it puts it on the map as well, because and this is again this period of maximum television where you have the History Channel who are looking to establish themselves in a new context. So. Mm-hmm. I presume that provides again opportunities in terms of okay, well, here's you know, there's more telly being made, but also they want to make a splash, they want to do something that's yeah, yeah. big. So you're you're being encouraged to to deliver something that's <laughs> it. and that's the thing about the show. It's a very dynamic, action-packed show.
1: Yeah, it is, and those big kind of action sequences are great fun. And like there are no shows really other than maybe Thrones where you really get to do that. Or, or shows which is like Daredevil or it's like specifically about action, you know. Yeah. But Vikings does give it the time and the resources, you know. So when you write something, and like, it's still, it's a problem. Like we don't really have the money for this, but we'll find a way to make it happen. And that's genuinely what happens. And uh, so there's a lot of inventiveness, a lot of craft that's been involved and developed. Like there's an entire stunt team yeah. that has grown in this country out of the Vikings. Yeah. Um, we didn't have that before. Uh, so that's a sort of a big step up, which is great. And
0: logistically, um, then, how to work to work on that stuff? I'm presuming yeah. there's a huge amount of prep and just in yeah. terms because it's shot and bits. It's all, it's, it's all detail. Yeah, it's
1: absolutely all detail. And if a director doesn't really nail it down, frame by frame, storyboard wise, mm. you're you're going to be lost because you, you you'll always spot a fight sequence or an action sequence that's just kind of covered. Yeah, you know, it's just like let's put the camera here and follow the action, but actually, you need to be in there uh so storyboarding and working with your choreographers and your stunt team you really need to work it all out map it all out in video and then go in there and pick out your shots and you're going like hey that's a plastic knife then it becomes a vfx knife Mm -hmm. before it goes into your man's head or whatever it is you know yeah and and, and also you know you should be inventive because the thing i was really into with vikings was like okay they've done battle x y and z uh now how do we turn that in its head and make the audience go Oh, we haven't seen that before, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, where you're building Jeopardy on Jeopardy on Jeopardy because there was a sort of a classic shield wall thing where they all sort of, you know, the two opposing sides met in the middle and just clashed and sort of slugged it out. But that just became quite dull quite quickly. So it was finding other strategies and putting story into the fights, really, mm. putting story into the action that made it matter. Yeah. You know. And is that a challenge
0: again? Because when you come, then new episode, new battle sequence. How do I do it differently this time? How do I not just do the same thing? Do you yeah, have to yeah. bring your bring your A game each time. Think Spielberg. Think Spielberg. <laughs> who are your that's a, who are your influences when you look at say who are the people yourself who whose work you enjoy and who?
1: Well, I suppose I'm a, a child of the Spielberg world and the Ridley Scott world and the Martin Scorsese world. I mean, they were the. Uh, the Tarkovsky world I mean they were the filmmakers we were watching Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, and these days Martin Scorsese and Ridley Scott are doing a lot of telly yeah exactly Yeah.
1: yeah but I think that transition is it's harder and harder to make movies and movies as we know is a world that's sort of changed uh, in the sense that it's the bigger blockbusters all the time and the stakes are higher and the risks are higher and, and, and all that kind of stuff uh, and it's a lot more about franchises and stuff like that but also you know what Ridley Scott has done is build a business he's built a massive business in terms of television and film and yeah, uh, with Scott Free and things like that so they're a huge entity you know and have you um, and again so
0: you've very steadily accumulated a massive cv through tv Mm. have you uh, is there always been that thing of you'd love to tackle a feature just because again on two levels one is you're tackling something of feature length just different to that one serialized storytelling yeah but also just you as a director have you found stories you want to tell or did you choose to just is it something that's there that you'll get to or is it something that opportunities have arisen and just hasn't happened yet or what ways some
1: opportunities i mean there were scripts that would come in and they may not be very good. I passed on a couple of things that I kinda of wish I hadn't.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh which you don't want to name.
1: Which I don't want to name uh over the years. And um then, you know, I suppose more recently I have found that if I'm gonna do a film, and there are some films I'm developing, that I really want it to be just kinda of, it's my film mm-hmm. in the sense, in the auteur sense. Uh because in the world of television, um, less so on shows like Vikings, I must say, but generally there's the process of notes and other people's opinions and things like that, and you just have to live with that, and that's a fact.
0: Well, this thing is fundamentally your hard hand, like you are. Yeah, ultimately, yeah. you are. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. So I suppose what you want to do, or what I'd like to do now, really is have my film and mm-hmm. make it for not a lot of money. Yeah. But it for to be for it to be the story I want to tell in the way that I really want to tell it. Mm. Um, because I think in truth, over the years, there are very few examples in terms of what i've directed where i would say that's me mm-hmm. that's my thing that's me being my voice filmmaker my there. voice is in that my voice is in that uh the one episode of vikings i would say is that is uh, an episode called all his angels which is the death of ragnar and the end of his character um and when i got the script from michael i sat with him and Michael's thing was always like, you just go and make your movie out of this thing. He didn't really, like the only notes Michael would take would be, or the only people he would really discuss the scripts with would be his director and his actors. Mm. And of course he'd, be polite and be working with the studio and they'd have things to say but really the engagement for him was just with creatives people mm-hmm. who were just full-time directors and actors creatives which, who is just, good. which is great for you it was fantastic yeah so i just said to him i think this is kind of like the black and white episode and nobody's gonna like that anybody said no i totally understand what you mean um because i, I felt this is really probably an art house episode
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh within the show
0: so you got to bust out your Tarkovsky
1: so we got to bust out a bit of Tarkovsky yeah 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 yeah.
0: (laughs) but that's but again but that's again comes with the confidence of working on enough episodes of a show but also working with enough people who know that you can deliver it as well yeah exactly
1: yeah that's true Yeah, Yeah. yeah yeah
0: so tell me so you're also developing a tv series as well that's right so are you attracted to the possibilities in terms of um embracing a longer serialized narrative because i think a lot of more people are these days yeah, yeah you know yeah, very much so, so yeah. talk to me about that and talk to me about that process is that <laughs> the next step for you is to basically you're going to work within this world but ultimately yeah. you get to drive it now
1: yeah exactly um so the series that we're working on uh which i'm pretty sure is going to go into production next year uh, is called Townsend. it's an idea that i've had for quite some years uh, and originates out of what was known as the Concerned Parents Against Drugs movement in, in Dublin in the sort of late 80s and into the 90s, uh, which was a massive, you know, when you read back, actually, how big it was, it was extraordinary, a massive movement of communities trying to drive the drug dealers out of their areas, uh, out of their uh, sort of flats and things like that, you know, and uh, the state became involved. It sort of then was perceived as a threat to the state because there was paramilitary involvement or Republican involvement. And uh Essentially, the idea struck me that really it's self-policing and uh, it was sort of almost like a coup, an ideological coup in a way, uh, in the sense that the state weren't policing sufficiently. So the people took it upon themselves to do that. And I just thought in there is an interesting idea. And so I, you know, wrote some stuff around that. And really about five years ago, I took it out to pitch it around. And um, interestingly, there was a lot of interest. There was a lot of interest in it because it was a very specific thing. It was something I was very knowledgeable about and very passionate about. Uh, and there was enough, like you say, directing CV for people to sort of take it seriously, but I wasn't a writer. And uh, it was always like, well, so who's the showrunner and who's the writer and all that kind of stuff. So you know you know, you have to build a team around it. Anyway, I partnered with a production company in the UK and uh, they were the company behind Man in the High Castle. So they had a lot of cred and we got some development money in over there, found a writer, Spent two years writing a script and a series outline that didn't quite work. Um, set that aside, and uh, we sort of ran out of money really. And then I said, oh, "I'm going to write this because there's nothing to lose now, you know. Mm-hmm. And if I, if someone doesn't write something, yeah. it's just going to die." <clears throat> so I wrote it, delivered the script in September uh, seventy sep- September of last year, and by December we were financed pretty much to go to production. And so then uh, we had a rather I should say, we had a significant financer studio on board who really liked it and they were bringing a lot to the table. And then RTE came in with an acquisition mm-hmm. uh, and obviously we have 481 here and things like that. So we're about 90% the way to it being financed. Um, and is
0: that the thing until you, do you believe it until the day you're on set and you just have to... Always. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: you're not doing it till you're standing there doing it. Yeah. Uh, for sure. But that's uh, the business. That is the business. Uh, and it can be tough in that respect, you mm. know because uh, you say okay this is the one and that's the thing about movies you know movies were like okay there's a film do you really want to do this and you want to hold out and you kind of have to keep yourself available and i'm thinking well I- sure how long does the war chest last for that? Yeah, you know, can I do six months and, and I hope the thing comes together because I am I'm on board for two features mm-hmm. and I'm you're just always doing that biding your time thing. Well, what's going to go when and, and how do so you? You know have to I'll... keep
0: the options open.
1: You have to try and keep the options open, and at the same time, you can't have all your eggs in one basket either. You know, and you got to make a living. You got to make a living and put three young girls through schools and keep yeah. roofs over their heads and and clothes on their backs and all that kind of stuff so. in
0: Dublin, which is not a cheap activity. These it sure days. is not. No, yeah, yeah, <laughs> certainly so, isn't. I don't yeah. know
1: where it is. Is, but uh uh i'd rather be doing it here mind you yeah um, but uh yeah so town's end i think we'll will go will hopefully will be in prep in february 19 february of next year which isn't that far away so in terms of the the story of it yeah it's i mean when i wrote it originally you know i had like here's what i think happens in the first second and third seasons very mm. broadly yeah um and then the pilot script that i wrote really just all the seeds for the seasons are, are in that pilot script yeah. and uh But that's the fun of, again,
0: building that serialized narrative for television that you're to think of it. And also, it's funny when you talk about Kofi as a show that Mm. went on too long. These days, they seem to be more embracing of the notion of a show lasting as long as it's meant to last, as Mm. opposed to let's get another season out of it.
1: Yeah, I I think that's right. I think that's fair. Um, And and it should be that, as long as it's good, you know, and avoid this thing of jumping the shark where you're literally making up crazy stuff to keep the audience there, you know. Yeah. But I have to say in terms of, you know, we we, we assembled a writer's room uh, over the summer earlier this year. And I think probably the most exciting get up out of bed, go to work thing was going on for that. Yeah. That was definitely a whole new thing for me. And uh, I had a, we had a great team of writers in the room and stuff like that. So I just and it's really a very, enjoyed that. It's a,
0: it's a very American concept, though, that I think is the room. The, the room. And it's very much so. Yeah. It's, I think, contributed creatively hugely to even shows like breaking bad you know that ultimately there's one creative driving it but he would give full credit to his room
1: yeah and you know you can't write storyline 10 hours Mm. five seasons of 10 hours yeah it's insane and and you know and and in broadcast there's 22 Mm -hmm. episodes uh in the states so yeah of course you need a room yeah absolutely you need a room Uh, and there's a cost attached to that but really it's an investment in the success of the show obviously uh, which is a creative investment, but then ultimately gives a financial return to these things, you know, because one brain can't carry all of that. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, but uh, yeah.
0: And talk to me in terms of the key relationships, you know, because you're talking about, again, the difference that having, you know, the right representation to get you into those rooms in the first mm-hmm. place. In terms of what are the key, as a director now, what are your key relationships in this business?
1: Well, the agents are really important, you know, uh, and then relationships with producers and relationships with writers. I think it's relationships with everybody. <laughs> but is that just a huge
0: part of it? Is So you're yeah. saying about the going over and doing the initial yeah. hustle that got you to cold feet, yeah. going over and doing the hustle. That's yeah. just, you have to be good at that.
1: <clears throat> yeah, and you need to keep doing it. Yeah. Uh, I have found, you, you need to keep doing it. You need to stay on their on their radar. Um, so Presumably
0: there's a certain amount of, you know, I was going to say ego, you know, sublimation of ego, because you have to always, you're always pitching yourself.
1: Yeah, you are. And, you know, like the interesting thing for us here, because, you know, Ireland's a small country. There's still that thing of we all kind of know each other. And there's a generation, obviously, that I all, my, my contemporaries, we all know each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this whole new generation that's coming up, which, which is really fantastic. And we kind of, but don't know them, you know, mm-hmm. we're sort of know them or we meet them through guild events or whatever and go and watch their films and their docs. But, um, uh, yeah, because in the States in particular, the turnover of staff at networks and at studios is, is, is quite quick. Yeah. Uh, so it behoves you well to go out every year and make sure you're in front of meet the, new guy. the people you need to be in front of, you know. Yeah. Um, that's a big factor, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, you need to find your advocates within studios uh, yeah. and, and networks, people who respond to your work and like your work and have met you a couple of times and you're really in their face then. They, mm-hmm. they really have you. They they know you. So you're on their list and it's about getting onto all of those lists. And and maybe you might get to a point, I'm just looking up at a picture of devil Watch there, you've won an Emmy and it's like, that just makes it obviously so much easier. But I also believe that winning BAFTAs and Emmys... While fantastic, you know, time moves on and, and, you know, time goes by very, very quickly and mm-hmm. it, it doesn't always matter. It's certainly a good thing, but it's like, yeah.
0: you know. But what have you done recently?
1: Well, yeah. Yeah. You know, what's the show you're on at the moment or what's the movie that why should we be watching your movie? You know, mm-hmm. um, that's uh, so staying current, I think, is a uh, is a big challenge, you know. And what about then when you get to the set? What are your
0: key? Your D.O.P. presumably is your oh important relationship.
1: Yeah well look I mean it's all important um your first uh, your dp your designer and and, and your actors of course in the end you know Yeah um I'm very at home on the floor on the set uh sh- and shooting you know I suppose for me look yeah it's the dp is your right hand all of the time your first is your right hand all of the time but pe- the people I'm waiting to get to set are the actors Yeah that's where I'm like okay that's where if there's going to be an edge <laughs> that's yeah. where it's gonna be you know
0: because that's what i was gonna like what because again i think there would be capacity within particularly when you're working at episodic tv to burn out or to be jaded or to you know what keeps it fresh for you what keeps your head in it what it's the material? You. it's yeah? the
1: material i think um you know i stepped away from doing the vikings i think i did 14 maybe 15 episodes of the vikings over four seasons and how many hours of telly is that? That's 14 or 15 hours. 15 you know? hours. Yeah. That's uh, Over seven, four years. seven
0: movies. Seven movies. Yeah, right. Of I actually thought yeah. I should
1: count all the hours I've done. Yeah. But that's <laughs> the for the thing, crack. The sheer volume of, when you're <laughs> talking
0: about from early on, from the sheer volume of yeah, work a, you've made, and you yeah. consider people who put 10 years' work into making a feature.
1: Yeah, I know. Yeah yeah. 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 That's pretty crazy. But I stepped away from it because I was just being perceived as a Vikings director. Yeah just being perceived as like period a period director you know and i really was you know i'd done because i did 13 or 14 hours of the tutors and i'd worked with michael so much and i just thought i need to really move on here it was a very hard thing to do because i do i do the shows really really well and the studio everybody loved you know
0: yeah but you want to keep, you want to challenge yourself. I, you I needed new frontiers,
1: yeah. new new worlds, and new places. And there's risk attached to all of that, you know, because you had, I found that I have had to break the perception. Mm-hmm. Um, is that a constant process? I think, yeah. yeah. Uh, Krypton became that, I yeah. think. So I went from a period world to another version of a period world, essentially. Yeah, universe. Um, but... Uh, so Townsend for me is really the thing I think, cause that's like, it's a, that's a sort of here's your heart on the line kind of story. You know what yeah. I mean? That's a, so that's a different thing. And so that's the next big challenge is something that you really are
0: fundamentally invested in.
1: Yeah. And also does that, and also just developing other projects, you know, um, I, I, I could, because I've produced four series <clears throat> where I've been brought in as a creative producer. Yeah. But I'm seeing now more and more here, uh, you know because there are more substantial companies production companies in, in dublin uh
0: does it feel like an exciting time?
1: Yeah, very much so, and I think there's some really good positive changes out in RTE. I think that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the, the 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 notion of co-productions are is really established in terms of, and I think it's going to be more established between RTE and international co-producers mm-hmm. and things like that. And I think there's an eye toward the bigger show uh, uh, and stuff that can go from this country out. Mm-hmm. That's home produced out. And yeah. that's always been fascinating to me. So I, I kind of want to be at the front of that. Yeah, you know. Uh, so I'm developing a bunch of other things
0: as well. So two last questions. Mm. Uh, One is go back to that young guy who wanted to get into in the first place. Mm. So uh, what's the advice you give him? And (laughs) from there, what's the advice that you give? You know, because you're kind of in a way you came up through, you shot on film. You know, it's relatively old school. You, people have meetings on Skype these days. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like the whole process, a lot Mm -hmm. more fluid has evolved, but I'm presuming that the fundamental skill sets are the same. So one, what's the advice? What would you tell yourself, you know, looking back? And two, what advice would you give for people who are going into it now?
1: I think uh, it's increasingly important to this phrase, find your voice. It's like, well, what is your voice? And I think to do that, you just have to make the stuff you want to make. The difficulty for the younger me was making something was so much harder physically because it required a film camera, Mm -hmm. uh, which were expensive things to get. But nowadays, you can do it on your phone and you should just go do it on your phone and cut it on your laptop at home and get something, out, get it going, get the synergy going with your friends, with your colleagues, with your contemporaries. If you've graduated from film school, stick together, uh, get out and make something. And, you know, I think you just have to keep making things till something really good comes out of you mm-hmm. uh, that gets traction at festivals and things like that. And you can do it like, you know, in, you're in your early 20s. Uh, I would have said make more. I made three short films really before I went to London and I was directing commercials and things like that. Uh, commercials was valuable. If I hadn't done the commercials thing, would I have gotten there any quicker? I don't know. I wouldn't have had the skill set that came out of the commercial world world that put me that gave me the maturity, if you like, to be able to handle something like Cold Feet. So mm-hmm. it all stacks up. It's hard to know. What's the? I can't advise advise myself back then, but I think for now, I would say just just make stuff. I did a uh, a discussion not dissimilar to this for the National Film School last week with Donald Taylor Black and. A bunch of students sort of second and third and fourth years or whatever the question's the same uh you know so how do we get going like well it's in your pocket yeah you know you just need a really brilliant story you need a couple of actors you don't need to go and do fancy sets just go out in the street and that's what scorsese did mean streets is exactly that Mm. Uh, you need to go and make stuff and just keep making it because that's how you develop your craft it's how you develop writing skills it's how you develop directing skills and that's how you become so familiar with the process of it that the creativity will emerge i think you know for a writer, you're staring at a white page. Until you start writing, it's not going to get any better. You just need to write down any old shite and something good will start to come, most definitely. This morning I had such and such for breakfast. And dinner. By the time you get to the end of that page, you'll be on a story. It'll be happening. So you need to become really familiar with the process. So that 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 isn't the issue. I do remember contemporaries of mine in that sort of 20 years ago era, someone would get to make a short film and then three years later would get to make another one. Hmm. They just had no chance of getting at the craft, mm-hmm. the physical. So everything was a big, big deal. Yeah. It was like, oh, my God, Kevin's going to go make a movie now. And it's like, well, the craft, you know, how can you make a movie if you've only done one short? I mean, you can, of course, but, mm-hmm. like, it's like learning an instrument. It needs, yeah, yeah. Pra- just se- it has to be second nature. Yeah. Get it so it's second nature. Uh, and then, then say, here, well, here's how I want to do it. Here's how I play it, mm. you know. And then, as someone who's worked so much, in, and this is the
0: time of Peak TV, so last question. Peak TV. Uh, peak TV, Maximum TV. Yeah. Uh, what show? Like, all everything that's out there at the moment, I'd like to do an episode of that. Give,
1: let me go play in that world. What wouldn't... Oh, that's going to be Townsend. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Come play in my world. Now, there are shows, I mean, there's shows you'd love to do. I'd love to have worked on Game of Thrones, but just because it was Game of Thrones, you know. Yeah. Um, but I worked on Vikings lots. Uh would Game of Thrones make any difference to me now? Probably not really. I'd still be going, no town's end. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. that's just that's the itch I need to scratch. And that's it. That's like I have to write my own tune there. Yeah. Full stop. So now everyone gets to come and play in your world. Ooh. And good luck to them. <laughs> Fantastic.
0: Perfect.